In the 20th century, the UK firm of Halstons pioneered a process that bypassed the engraving stage, instead directly preparing music scores for the camera and therefore for printing by photolithography. Bev Wilson worked on the production of music editions for Halstons for nearly 30 years. Well, when I first left school in 1965, um, I didn't really have an, any idea what I wanted to do. Um, somebody said to me, go and work in print, there's money in print. So that's what I did. I applied to a local music printers in Amersham and uh, they agreed to take me on. I had no idea what I was going to do when I went round there and they offered me the job of becoming, as they called it, a, a music processor. And that's where I went and started to learn to do the Houston process. Um, I worked in a very open plan office and the two gentlemen that taught me the job um, were both ex-engravers themselves and uh, I did an apprenticeship for approximately five years. When the Halston process was developed by two brothers, Harold and Stanley Smith, that's how it came by its name, um, it was totally innovative in, in its day and it, would, um, it really is sharp and clear in comparison to what old engravings tend to look like. Where they tend to look as if they've been printed on blotting paper. But with this process, because you're working oversized to such a huge degree, when it's put into camera and reduced in size, you tend to get the sharpness and the clarity that you want. So here's a page of music made up with the Halston process. Presumably the first thing was to lay out the page. Um, tell us how that was done. Well, the page would normally arrive, it, you would have all the stave lines and the subsequent three blue ledge lines either side of the stave lines already drawn. So if you can imagine that page, that's how it would look with just the stave lines. You would then go on to using a pair of dividers to actually space the music using a, finding the most common denominator note along the top, in this case quavers, and you would keep going across until you got equal distance between the edge of where the time signature ended to where the double bar line is there. You then, while spacing, you had to allow for things like chorus words, as on this page, like, for instance, here, where you have when the, and you have this semi-quaver, which normally should be a lot smaller in size than a quaver, has had to be considerably bigger to allow for the two words. Once the play has been spaced, you drew blue vertical lines down from the dots that you had, and in a pale blue pencil, you used to a shorthand version, writing in the notes and everything else all over the page. Blue so that it wouldn't photograph in camera. And then eventually, when it had all been written in blue, somebody would then go through, and the first stage is they would stencil all the single notes, then go through and do all the accidentals. The stencils were used, what? For the notes and for the clefts? Correct. And for the sharps and flats? That's correct, yeah, yes. Right, right. The treble clef, of course, had to be done in two stages. Right. Because obviously, if you had a stencil with that shape, the middle would fall out. Oh, right. So you had yes. the top part of the clef, you stenciled all those first, and then you'd go back and you'd go over the clef and it would marry up like a jigsaw, so you stenciled the other part. Similarly, the same thing happened with flats, anything that was open, like a, a, a semi-breathe, minims, and sharps, and naturals, of course. Um, and then when the 
stencil part had been put on, it was then worked with a pen, was it? That's right. You would use the pen for doing things like the stems, the beams, and ledger lines. So, actually, we've got a, a stencil process, and then you're filling in stems and beams with a pen. Correct. But the words have been typeset and are stuck on as little pieces of paper for That's each right. syllable, isn't That's it? That's correct. All the text was hand-set. You would then just literally cut the words out and you would stick them on the page where they were required. Uh, that includes syllables, copyrights, everything else. So what was the last process? The last process before it was actually oh. proofread, as you might say, oh. was the person who would actually draw the slurs. Right, uh, and how was this done? Well, they were done originally in the early days when I was at house. They were very, um, very complicated, actually, because it was actually like a, a paintbrush. And on the end of the paintbrush, was like, although there was no bristles, there was a little wheel with a little box over the top of the wheel that you had piano felt in that you filled up with Indian ink. Right. And you literally had to go across the page... You do your first line of the slur, then you go over again, moving out slightly either top or bottom to make... So as to thicken up the, thicken the slur middle the of middle. the slur. That's correct. Because each one, of course, has a separate shape. That's it? right, and it does. Depending on the context in the music, this That's is something right. that varies enormously between one place and That's another correct. on the music. And then when you'd finished the page, you'd send it to be proofread. Um, how did you make corrections if there was something wrong? Well, there were various ways. Um, in the earlier days, the original way to do it was as a place like here, in instance, where the note was wrong. When the person would rule these pages initially, you'd have spare stave so that it would match the stave and you would just literally patch it over and then re-stencil the note, whatever like it may there, be. there, it's actually got a piece of paper stuck That's over the correct, but obviously that note. wouldn't show yes. once it was photographed. Right. But later on, um, snowpake hmm. used to be, for a note, or the odd note or accidental that needed correcting, you could just paint it out with snowpake, retouch the stave yeah. lines in with the rotaring pen, re-stencil the note and go through all the procedure again. And that, that sort of thing was really only possible because of the large size you were working in. I mean, it, it made it a lot easier. It, oh, it? it did, yes. I mean, working on this size as opposed to something smaller, yes, I mean, it was far easier, a lot easier than working, say, with other processes like Letraset or Notaset, rather, things like that. And it also meant if you made a correction in that way and you had to repair the lines, when it was shot down to the smaller size, you didn't notice no, it so much, No, you didn't know. Did you? you could never see the drawing. No, right. So that that was another of the benefits of doing this on That's large right. Yes, size, it was. It? I mean, yeah. it was so much easier. Yeah. A page like this would be a nice size to work on. Um, as I've said before, when mm. doing stuff like uh, Delia scores, where you have every instrument under the sun, they could be uh, literally four times the size of this. Yeah. So then they be became slightly unwieldy because obviously you had to have the, the top of the page hanging over the front of your desk, or you literally mm. threw it over your head and you were working away underneath it like a tent. Yes, <laughs> yeah. The Houston process is now sadly obsolete. Um, as you can perhaps appreciate, the amount of time taken to engrave a page using the Houston method would be anything from three to perhaps six hours per page. 
and is very costly. Halston's, along with most other engravers, have now moved away to the various computerised setting of music. 